Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Today, I have the privilege of talking to you about missions. And if you grew up in the church, uh, chances are the very word missions uh, brings up all kinds of feelings. Uh, For many of you, the feelings will be positive, where you remember uh, hearing amazing stories of God's work around the world and maintain a passion uh, for hearing those stories and what God is doing around the world to this day. Uh, For others, though, missions may bring up memories of missionary speakers who brought items from around the world that, while casually interesting, uh, seemed pretty far removed from your everyday life. And so uh, it was caught maybe with a little interest in your life. Uh, So no matter where you're at uh, in terms of what feelings the word missions brings up for you today, I invite you into a time of discovery this morning. Because as a Nazarene church, uh, we have the opportunity and the privilege of being able to support the work of Nazarene missions around the world. And it's a work that we can be really, really proud of. Uh, So I want to share with you what three commitments uh, of mission work in the Nazarene church. Uh, At the end, then, I'll remind you of how we can financially be a part of and support that work uh, throughout the year through our faith promise giving. In Nazarene missions, if you haven't heard or are unfamiliar, Nazarene missions centers around three commitments. And those three commitments are compassion, evangelism, and education. And I want to talk about each of those briefly this morning. Uh, The first is compassion. It's really important for us to understand, to know, and to recognize that all gospel work begins with a heart of compassion. Uh, In the ministry of Jesus, we see that he always began with compassion toward the people that he was ministering to. In fact, Jesus announces the purpose of his ministry. It's found in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And I'll be referencing a number of scriptures this morning. But Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse 18, says, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If Jesus had a mission statement for his ministry, this certainly would be it, right here in Luke chapter 4. And what's important for us to recognize is that all of these are ministries of compassion. Now, of course, we could could spiritualize this passage, and we could use this passage to talk about our enslavement to sin, a blindness to the gospel, and the spiritual oppression of the enemy. These things are real, and it's appropriate to talk about the work and ministry of Jesus in these ways, but let's not forget that these things are also real and tangible things that Jesus is talking about that his ministry is is meant to address. And so the ministry of Jesus and the announcement of the kingdom of God must be received as good news for the imprisoned, the poor, the oppressed, and the infirmed, or it is not good news at all. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, one of the biggest mistakes we've made in modern Christianity is we have a tendency to over-spiritualize our faith. And if everything in the Gospels about the poor or the oppressed or the marginalized is churned into spiritual metaphor, then we lose the central place of compassion. I want to say that again. 
If everything in the Gospels about the poor, the oppressed, or the marginalized is turned into spiritual metaphor, then we are at deep risk of losing the central place of compassion. And so to those trapped in a life of sin, Jesus shows compassion. To those that are on the margins of society, dehumanized by their peers, we see in the Gospels that Jesus takes time to understand their plight, see their shared humanity, and then offer help. You see, Jesus in his ministry recognized that meeting the tangible needs of people is often a necessary precursor to the spiritual healing that needed to take place. And so we can't overlook the essential and central place of compassion. In fact, I would, I would want to go so far as to say this. An unwillingness to show compassion invalidates our witness of the gospel. An unwillingness to show compassion invalidates our witness of the gospel. Man, is that a message that the church needs to hear today, perhaps more now, now more, more now than ever before. <laughs> so if we want the, which is to say, if we want the hungry, if we want to talk about the hungry, to the hungry, about their soul, we must be willing to feed them. Or if we want to talk about the impoverished, about their sin, we must be willing to help bring about some sense of sustainability in their lives. And of course, these are complex and difficult and nuanced issues that are at play. But again, we cannot overlook the central place that compassion has, both in the work of missions around the world, but also in our own proclamation of the gospel in our own cities and neighborhoods. Now, and I'm proud, I'm proud to say that missions in the Church of the Nazarene begins with compassion. Around the world, the Church of the Nazarene has disaster response hospitals and clinics, work and witness teams, and a whole compassionate ministry team dedicated to showing compassion around the world. And much of that work dedicated not just to showing compassion, but ending the systems that lead, that, that lead to people being poor and oppressed. And so I'm proud to be a part of a denomination that has compassion at the forefront and we have an opportunity not only to support that work of compassion, but participate in it in our own communities as well. The, the second core commitment of the Church of the Nazarene as it relates to mission is that of evangelism. Now there's a scary word, right? Uh, evangelism brings up probably even more feelings and, 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 and like the emotions than the word missions. Uh, many feel obligated by this word. Oft, others maybe feel guilty. Others may feel woke enough that they are past such archaic ideas, right? For evangelism, for some and for many, evangelism is tied in general to the movement of evangelicalism, whatever feelings that may bring up for you. So it's fair to say that the term evangelism has some baggage in our lives, right? And yet we must, as Christians and as the people of God, recognize the reality that ever since the very first disciples met Jesus on the shoreline, people outside the movement of Jesus and of Christianity have been invited in, have been brought in to be part of this movement as well. And so evangelism is simply the term that we have come to use that acknowledges that the Jesus movement does not exist purely for the people that are on the inside, but the Jesus movement exists for all that will come and enter by faith. Evangelism, therefore, is a term of invitation into the movement of Jesus in the kingdom of God. 
What's interesting, though, is that evangelism programs and evangelism methods that have become so popular in recent generations, and, and these methods that are meant to convince, these are actually a, actually a fairly new phenomenon in the church. And these evangelism programs and these evangelism methods, could I go so far as to say this, really only became necessary when the witness of our lives was no longer compelling to people outside of the movement. Because the earliest Christian communities uh, didn't need or have evangelism programs because of the beauty of their witness. In fact, in his brilliant book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, author Alan Kreider actually chronicles the growth of the early church inside of the Roman Empire. Like, how does this little tiny movement centered on uh, this carpenter Jesus grow in the midst of an empire? And what he recognizes is that it was all the facets of the lives of those who called Jesus Lord that compelled people into the movement. There was no need for an evangelism program or an evangelism method of convincing people they believed the wrong thing. It was the beauty of the lives of the believers. And so evangelism is first built on the transformed life of the believer. The most prolific missionary in the scriptures is the Apostle Paul. He had an encounter with God that changed him dramatically, and his transformed life became the foundation upon which uh, he built his missionary work. That he would go around telling people about his experience with the living God who was revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, and then say, this transformation is in fact available to you as well. He writes to, the, second, he writes to the, the believers in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, But we all, with unveiled face, as beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory. That he is essentially saying that through the work of the Spirit of God, we are all being moved into greater to greater degrees in the likeness of God. And so evangelism, it, for all of the baggage that it holds in our lives, it must begin with our own transformed lives. And that is true whether we are seeking to do mission work in our neighborhood or whether we are sending missionaries around the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It must begin with the transformed and beautiful life of the believer. But there's this, this other important key part of evangelism, and that is that it must be built on a willingness to honor the culture of the people. Isn't it true that Christians have, also, have, have kind of looked at culture and always talked about it in bad terms, right? This, the culture is bad. The world is bad. It's something to be afraid of. It's something to guard against. It's like all of these negative things. And to some degree, there is discernment and work and, and those things that need to be done. But evangelism must also honor the culture of the people that we are proclaiming the good news to. Because our evangelistic efforts fail when all we're trying to, to do is erase or overcome the culture of the people we're trying to reach. You see, Christ is Lord over all of the nations. And just because others worship in ways that are different or foreign to us does not mean that that way or mode or method of worship is any less valid. As Grace mentioned in her children's message, uh, which I think just so brilliantly summarize the work of missionaries. 
Missionaries do not go bring God to godless places, right? They point out the ways in which God is already at work. Thank you, Grace, for that tremendous wisdom, not just for kids, but for all of us. But as Grace mentioned, when, Paul is, when the Apostle Paul is in Athens in Acts chapter 17, he sees a city that was religious, had lots of gods, and his approach was not to condemn them for their practices or not to condemn their culture, but rather to come alongside of them in their practices and say, the God that you worship as unknown, I will make him known to you. What a beautiful picture of not trying to usurp or overcome culture, but recognize that in all cultures, God is at work because Christ is Lord over all of the nations, and then simply point out the ways in which God is at work. You know, too often missions organizations simply try to reproduce Western culture and methods around the world. We just kind of move in anywhere around the world and then we just present the gospel or try to plant the gospel with a Western understanding, Western practice, Western culture, and we just try to like overcome this whole place with, with Western ideas, essentially usurping that culture. And while not perfect, I believe that the Church of the Nazarene does great work and works hard to equip local leaders in their own context. Uh, in order to present the gospel in their cities and in their towns and in their regions. Which builds on the third foundation then, which is education. The third core commitment of education, in the, of, of missions, is education. And education is essentially discipling people in the ways of Jesus uh, and then training up leaders uh, you know, we, we love, uh, here in the West, or in America particularly, we love, to, to, um, we love to relish in ideas and doctrines, don't we? Uh, man, I, I love that. I love a good talk about doctrine and, and debate and all those kinds of things, and those are so important. But I, I want to remind us of the words of Jesus, who's actually borrowing from Deuteronomy, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees are, are again, uh, uh, confronting Jesus in his ministry. They're trying to ask him, uh, they're trying to trap him and saying, which of the laws of the prophets is most important? And in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says this. It, sa it says this. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, that is a lawyer, asked Jesus a question in order to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now many of us have that memorized. We know all of that. Do we know the next verse, verse 40? On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Whoa. <laughs> you see, in our minds, when we have it memorized, we learned it in Sunday school and all those kinds of things, we typically stop at verse 39. We should love our neighbor as ourselves. But verse 40, Jesus says, on these two commandments hangs all of the law and the prophets. What a, what a good reminder for us. All of the law and the, pro the message of the prophets essentially boils down to love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And as much as we love to traffic in ideas, just like our, the, our brothers and sisters in ancient Athens, Jesus wants to say to us, the whole law and all of the prophets, their message can be summarized simply in love God with your, all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I would want to say this. The purpose of education and discipleship is not primarily to get people to hold the correct doctrine but rather to connect people with the character of God so that they might more fully love the divine and then work out love of neighbor. Let me say that again. The purpose of education and discipleship is not primarily to get people to hold on to the correct doctrines, but rather to connect people through education, through familiarity with the scriptures, through knowing the story of God, to connect them to the character of God. And then through knowing the character of God, they might more fully love the divine. And having more fully loved the divine, they might then be led into loving neighbor as ourselves. Now I know what some of you are saying. That is way too simplistic. But look where an overemphasis of belief has gotten us. Christians arguing all the time over who is right and who is wrong. And I just think the church in these days needs to be reminded of the words of Jesus. The first and greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. For all of the law and the prophets hang on these. I don't want you to misunderstand me. This is not a way to say that belief and doctrine are un- belief and doctrine are unimportant, but they are secondary to loving God and loving neighbor. In other words, if your doctrine does not allow you to love your neighbor, you have bad doctrine. <laughs> Did you hear me? <laughs> and so education boils down to giving people tools to work out what it means to be the unique people of God in their time and in their place. And of course, there will be lots of similarities between the lives of Christians around the world, but theology and Christianity must always be worked out in a context. Are you with me? Just in the same way that the, the, that the truth that we gain from scriptures is not absent of context, but rather is rooted in a particular historical world that we must grasp and understand in order to fully see what the scriptures are saying to us, the same is true today. Our own belief, our own doctrine, our own practice, our faith in Christianity must be rooted in a context. And so education boils down to giving people tools to work out what it means to be the unique people of God in their time and in their place. And so through compassion and through evangelism and through education, these three things provide not only the framework for missions of the Church of the Nazarene, but I think a great challenge to us as well. That in the work of the gospel in our city, we must begin with compassion. To care for people in their time of need and to speak out against systems that keep them down. We must live as transformed people and invite people into the beautiful life in Christ. And then we must work out through education and through discipleship what it means to be the people of God here and now with our primary things, our anchors being loving God and loving neighbor. And so 
The Church of the Nazarene has an active network of missionaries around the world following this approach, compassion, evangelism, education. All of them intertwined with one another, each one leading to the other, each one feeding back to the other, all three of them connected in sort of this infinite circle of, of activity through proclamation of the gospel, right? It's not so clear and as easy as saying this, step one and two and three, but rather realizing that these three core commitments are kind of in, in, a, in relationship with one another, just constantly informing the next. Now, is this perfect? Probably not. Is it carried out perfectly all the time? Definitely not. But is it a great model for the church to send disciples, to send missionaries to make disciples around the world? You bet it is. It's a great model. And I'm proud to be a part of a church and denomination that is actively seeking to proclaim the good news around the world. What we need to know is not only do we have a privilege and a responsibility to kind of live these things out in our own context as missionaries in our own cities, but we also recognize that local congregations like Emmaus Road play an essential role in supporting and resourcing Nazarene missions through the World Evangelism Fund. Now, the World Evangelism Fund is a major part of how this work of compassion, evangelism, and education is resourced. And so what is Faith Promise, and how does it relate to the World Evangelism Fund? Well, Faith Promise is an annual uh, pledge-based giving campaign where all of the funds go to support the World Evangelism Fund. So local congregations have campaigns just like we're doing today with Faith Promise. They bring in money. We send 100% of our Faith Promise money to the Church of the Nazarene in support of the World Evangelism Fund, which goes into and resourcing the work of Nazarene missionaries. And so today, we ask you to consider being a part of this mission's work. You could give a one-time donation marked as Faith Promise, or you could pledge to give an amount each month that will go to support the work of Nazarene missions. And here's our goal. Our goal is to give $850 per month. That's $10,200 annually to this work in support of Nazarene missions through Faith Promise. Now, as many of you know, we've had Faith Promise before. We've been doing this campaign for a number of years. And we've had the Faith Promise Fund that has supported the work of the global work of the Nazarene church uh, and we've been doing that, and it's, the, it's what, we've talking about, what we're talking about today. What we also had, though, is an Emmaus missions fund. And that fund was meant to support our own missions work or mission trip that we were a part of. Well, today I want to let you know that with global travel kind of shut down, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, uh, we are going to close giving to Emmaus missions, and any missions-marked giving will all go to Faith Promise. And what we're hoping is that will help avoid some confusion and create clarity that all of, our, all of our missions eggs are in one basket, so to speak, okay? So any missions giving, uh, if it's marked missions, Emmaus missions, faith promise, it will all go to the faith promise in support of the World Evangelism Fund. And our hope then is that this will reduce confusion as we move forward with our support of Nazarene missions. So here's what I want to offer you some instructions, and then I'll lead us to the Lord's table today. And I hope that not only has God stirred in your heart about the good work that God is doing 
through the church of the Nazarene, but I hope that God has stirred in our hearts our own approach to the proclamation of the gospel, uh, compassion, evangelism, and education. So let me offer you some instructions. If you're here today in the sanctuary, on your seat as you came in, or a seat close by, is a physical uh, pledge card for you to fill out. It's very, very simple. Uh, You indicate the amount. You indicate if you're going to give that weekly, monthly, or one time, and then the total for the year. So if you're giving $100 a month, then you put $100 in the first line, circle monthly, and then the total for the year will be $1,200. Um, and so if you're giving a one-time gift, then you just say, here's a one-time, and I'm giving maybe $500 today or $50 or whatever it is. Um, and then you just indicate your name there. Uh, for those of you here, you can take these cards, fill it out, drop it in the offering boxes in the back, uh, and we'll get those this week. Now, for those of you at home, If you have the worship resource guide in front of you, or if you have opened the Church Center app, in all of those places, you'll be able to find a link to a digital form, an online form that you can fill out. It works exactly the same. Indicate the amount, how often you'll give it, and then the total for the year, along with your name and some basic information there, and that will help us uh, keep track of those pledges throughout the year. And what we're doing then is we'll input those pledges into our giving system so that when you log in uh, to your profile, if you're an online giver, you have a profile, you can log into that and see how you're doing with your faith promise pledge throughout the year. So it's not just for our benefit, but for your benefit as well. And we're going to do that for digital forms that are filled out, for all the paper forms, we're going to input that information as well. And so we encourage you to be a part of what God is doing around the world through the Church of the Nazarene and missions. Now, I want to say a word of prayer for missions and the work that God is doing through the Nazarene Church, um, and then we'll move into our time of communion. Before we do that, though, let me quickly remind you that next week we begin a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And I just think in a world, in a nation that is so deeply divided, what we need now more than ever is the clear evidence of the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so we're going to explore uh, the fruit of the Spirit passage out of Galatians chapter 5. Let me say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today for Christ who rules over all the nations. God, we confess today, we recognize today that you love cultures and that you are at work in all of the nations and cultures around the world. God, would you forgive us when we have used missions as as a way of simply expanding our own culture around the world instead of actually seeking the ways in which you are at work in the world and participating in it. So I pray today for missions around the world, particularly the Church of the Nazarene, those who have felt the call upon their lives to leave the comforts of their own home and to go around the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray, God, today that you would empower them to share your message. We pray, God, that you would give them encouragement as they face hardships and as they face difficulties and roadblocks along the way. But we also pray, God, that for each and every missionary, each and every person on the ground doing the work of missions, that you would give them discernment to see how your spirit is at work and then to come alongside of you in that work. The temptation is always to see our own culture as better than another, seek to usurp culture in favor of our own. 
That's a persistent temptation. But God, for our missionaries and even for ourselves, we pray that we resist that temptation to see that you are Lord over all the nations. And that the gospel and the kingdom of God stands above all earthly governments and is something totally other than. That the kingdom of God is not just a Christian version of American government or another go- or European government. It's something altogether different. And so God, today we pray that for us, for Christians in America, that we would have our allegiance completely and wholly with the kingdom of God. That we then would be motivated to support and to encourage missionaries to go and to proclaim the goodness of God and the kingdom of God in places all around the world. So Lord, thank you for the men and women that are serving around the world. We pray that you would empower them today. Thank you for the local churches, just like Emmaus Road, who are answering the call of support to come alongside of these missionaries through faith promise giving. I pray, God, today that whoever hears this message, that you would stir in our hearts, God, and invite us into the work that you are doing. We give you thanks and we give you praise. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.